Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is data journalist Will Robinson to talk about the challenges facing regional banks, specifically New York Community Bank, and how those challenges are going to affect the mortgage space this year. As always, I want to thank our podcast sponsor, Truve, for their support so we can bring this episode to you. Will, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Sarah. Glad to be here. Glad to have you here. I'm really excited to talk about the article that you did this week, which was, um, well, by the time this airs last week, but it was office debt is stressing banks that matters for mortgages, because this is something we've been tracking ever since we had the regional bank failures last year in 2023 and the liquidity effects it has on mortgages. So would love to dive in. Um, you know, you as our data journalist, not only do you you get the data you know, you put it into the form with, you know, written for us, but you also do data visualizations. So I, I just want to tell our listeners, this is a great story and, and you're going to get a lot out of this episode, but I would encourage you to go and look up the story uh, on, you know, online too, because the charts and the images and all the things that we did to visualize this story really make a, a big difference. So with that caveat, let's, let's jump in, maybe give us some background on what led you to, to do this story. Yeah. So Basically, commercial real estate debt in general, but office debt specifically, has been a hot topic in other industries for a while now. In January, especially, there was just a lot of coverage about how big the scale of commercial real estate debt that needs to get reworked and refinanced is this year, and um, how offices are really struggling to figure out, downtown offices specifically, are really struggling to figure out what is their value? What is their future? What is their, um, you know, opportunity to actually make money in a world now where we have remote and hybrid workforces that are comfortable not coming back in to downtown? And I was, I was reading all that. I was interested in all that, but I couldn't see. Okay, what's the overlap for us? Where does that, where does that come home to roost with us? And I didn't see that thing until New York Community Bank started. Um, having their troubles with that specific sector. Uh, and then it was more of a, okay, there it is. <laughs> it's It matters for regional banks. It matters for the amount of money they can put out towards mortgages. It matters towards just their health as an institution. And then therefore that matters to the competitive landscape, just like those bank failures last year mattered for the competitive landscape for mortgages. So one of the first things that you put here is you have charts that really... Um kind of help understand like what was the um, senior single family residence mortgage originations by banks that failed in early 2023. So when we look at First Republic Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, and Silvergate Bank, we can see like what what's the scale of their originations. So maybe walk us through that. Yeah. So Silvergate had already gotten out of single family residential mortgages. So that wasn't their game. Signature Bank was winding down from that uh, vertical that they were less interested in that. But for Silicon Valley Bank, they were a major originator for California. Uh, and then First Republic was a major originator in general across the country. Uh, in our article, we had that they were the fourth largest non-agency jumbo lender in the country. They were, they were a very big originator. 
and they targeted very wealthy individuals. So they were a bigger, in addition to being a big originator, they were a big originator within the jumbo vertical. Yeah. And boy, they really, you really see that. I mean, they have the lion's share of both of that, which is then led to, you know, uh, of course, what we saw with New York Community Bank, um, they're they're a much bigger player in um, originations than any of those banks last year. Yes. And so that's part of when I say like the competitive landscape, um, Silvergate didn't have uh, single family residence mortgages to give up to anybody. They just liquidated. Um, signature, uh, what they did have of mortgages went to Flagstar, Silicon Valley went to First Citizens, and First Republic went to J.B. Morgan Chase, which was already big in mortgages. So you do have some consolidation going on. You have kind of a scramble for all of those companies that got gobbled up by somebody had bids from competitors from other banks. So it is also a matter of, okay, well, something's fair game. You know, everybody wants it. So it is a chance to for certain players who are more solvent to gain market share. And it is also potentially, um, depending on how these kinds of things play out with various regional banks, an opportunity for more consolidation where you have just a smaller subset of companies are the big players in mortgages. So there's a pretty big difference in why, you know, um, New York Community Bank got in trouble when you look at like compared to the banks last year. So maybe walk us through that because for, for them, it was really their depositors, correct? Absolutely. For for all of the four that failed, they really were trying and succeeding in landing very high net worth customers. And they had a very high concentration of their customer base would have fallen into that category. That's great when things are good and wealthier people are spending money and borrowing money and are making bets. So that's why you see a lot of it in Silicon Valley is that you have a lot of tech-related people, a lot of crypto-related people, and some of these banks specifically doing offering crypto banking services. It was all after this cohort of people who were going to be the next big thing. And a lot of those speculative bets, a lot of those next big things rely a lot on, on new money coming in, venture capital coming in, new loans coming in. When interest rates shot up, a lot of people pull money from the more speculative sectors and go to more conservative things. It makes it a lot harder for that group to raise venture capital money. It raise, uh, makes it a lot harder for them to borrow. They need their deposits then. And in that situation, you also have all four of those banks putting a lot of their money that they weren't using into treasuries because it's a safe bet. That's a safe bet in the sense that if you hold those 10, 20, 30-year treasuries to maturity, you will get your money and you will get a safe return for that thing. But when everybody wants their money, you don't get to hold that for maturity. You need to sell it. And if interest rates have just shot up, that means the value of what you have right now has just shot down. Because if I can go get a new bond and I want to get a good return on my 20-year bond, I can go get a new one for a high interest rate where I can buy yours, but yours isn't at the same rate. So you have to give me a discount for me to want to buy yours. So now the value of what was on their books plummeted at the same time that you had this wave of people saying, I need my money right now. Uh, and they just couldn't they couldn't make that difference up. The FDIC seized three of those banks. You make the point that like, you know, the FDIC, of course, insured, you know, deposits up to a certain amount. But for most of those people, I mean, you know, that's a that's a big amount for your normal American. Oh, $250,000 in this account. That came nowhere close to to making them whole. Absolutely. Yeah. If you put 10 million in a bank, that's not a lot of comfort <laughs> to you. So so they, they all, all four of those banks had a huge percentage of their deposits uninsured because it was with a smaller group of clients who each had a ton of money in the bank.
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And, you know, if you're a wealthier person, you have options. You can take your money to any bank you want. So it's no problem for you to find another spot to put your money. So you are kind of flighty. I mean, you have a lot to lose if, if that bank goes down and you have lots of options where you can put your money elsewhere. Um, so it just, once that, that run started, it went quickly across all four. So that was, yeah, that was the deposit side with, with those banks. With New York Community Bank and with really, really, there was a lot of attention on New York Community Bank because it's kind of the first bank in this scenario where you're seeing it in its earnings. And so there's a reaction to it, but there's a lot of regional banks in the boat that New York's uh, community bank is in, which is, um, this is not an is- issue of depositors. This is an issue of loan recipients. So after 08, a lot of the larger banks had a lot tighter capital restrictions. They had to have a bigger buffer for things to go bad. Smaller banks were not bound as strictly by the higher capital requirements. They had more wiggle room. So when banks had to keep more cash in on their books and lend less of it out, one of the areas that they lent less of it out was for commercial real estate loans. And there's a lot of office debt within that uh, commercial real estate loan pool. So the regional banks thought, great, they're getting out of the way. This is now market share that we get to nab up. And they did. And then you get the pandemic. <laughs> So they had just gone big on, on this on this area, and then you have a sudden kind of crisis evaluation of what are these buildings actually worth, and just the way that those loans work is very different. So you do usually have these big balloon payments or these interest only kind of loans. So it's really at the end of the loan that you've got to pay absolutely everything, and so normally a lot of the owners in that space will refinance at that time, but if you're going to refinance at that time now in our high interest rate environment, that's a lot more of expensive of a loan than it used to be. And also if you're switching who you're borrowing from, who you're borrowing from is gonna go and do their own valuation of that of that building as well. And they're not gonna come to the same conclusion that you got the loan at. If you had a $120 million building, it might be an $80 million building now. So you have less valuable collateral and higher interest rates. And it's that's a tough pill to swallow. And so you have more of these because you have a lot of less interested third parties that want to actually take that building on. You have a lot more of these buildings just defaulting back to the banks. So now the banks have these giant buildings on their balance sheet that they weren't planning to have. And if nobody else is going to pay the loans, the bank has to have enough cash on hand to pay the loan. If the bank has enough cash on hand to make the loan, they have to build up that reserve. And that's exactly what we just saw play out in the fourth quarter with New York Community Bank. They went from having $62 million in the third quarter last year, the last, the previous quarter this year, uh, on their books in case of loan defaults to having to have $552 million. They had to run up $460 million of loan loss reserves in a single quarter. And the only way they did that was one, just eating a loss. They had a net loss for the quarter. And two, they just slashed the dividend to investors. They just cut the dividend by 70%. 
which is a huge shock. You know, it's obviously not like a phasing out. That's a, we are in a problem right now. We need cash on hand right now. That's the only reason you would gouge your dividend. So that's kind of the trickle effect is uh, the previous bank cohort. It was, you bet big on high value customers and you made all of your customer base that. On this one is these regional banks have opportunities to expand in commercial real estate. They put out a lot of these loans and then suddenly the collateral of their loans and the ability of their tenants to pay those loans just got plummeted, just, just got you know knocked out by the pandemic. And now you're starting to see the years of these all coming due. And that's why you're starting to get a ton of attention on the regional banks right now this year. The, the charts on this one are so rough. I mean, they really <laughs> show you exactly what's happening in a, in a very, uh, you know, it's in your face because this, this chart is just terrible uh, for them, you know, just seeing that the, the drop, seeing the, the rise and what they had to do and, um, and, and what that meant for them. So kind of, kind of thread the needle here on what does that mean for specifically uh, when we talk about New York community bank, what does that mean for uh, mortgage? So just to, to add a little more color to just how bad this quarter was for New York Community Bank. So they had a $252 million net loss. Like I said, they, they cut the dividend by 70%. They had a $490 million increase in the loan loss reserve. And they had a $373 million increase in the loan loss allowance. And that, those increases are all just in a single quarter from the third quarter to the fourth quarter. Um, and that was, they said, primarily due to, quote, weakness in the office sector. So, I mean, this is this is locked into the commercial real estate loans, especially the office side. Uh, and then and then Moody's right after that, a week later, downgraded all of those loans and and to junk status, which is not saying that this is what's going to happen in New York Community Bank, but that is something that that happened immediately before a lot of the bank failures last year was the rating agencies got the downgrade to junk status. I mean, that's a that is a that is a scary thing to see. Um, and their market value as a result is is still less than half of what the market value was the day before they released those that, that earning information. So it had a very big impact on, on their stock as well. That matters for mortgages because you have for just New York Community Bank, which is the owner of Flagstar Bank, they are the seventh biggest, seventh largest bank originator of residential mortgages. They're the fifth largest subservicer of mortgage loans, and they're the second largest mortgage warehouse lender in the country. Uh, and one of the charts that is in the uh, article for this week was a map of where they originated just in 2022, and it is the entire country. They are active in originating single-family loans in the entire country. Very active in California, very active in Texas, very active in New York, very active in Florida. They are a big, big, big mortgage lender. Um, so their liquidity and their ability to keep putting out mortgage originations is a big deal for the whole market. Um, and within and so one of the things i try to do is contextualize because right now we're looking at new york community bank but what we're looking at this year is a lot of these office debts coming due so we're looking at kind of the whole picture of regional banks more broadly is how important are regional banks like new york community bank to originations in general and the answer is they're important so i looked at 54 banks i just drew the line at, at banks that have at least two billion dollars in market cap that are regional banks that do originate single family loans. And that ended up being 54 banks. Just those 54 banks were more than eight and a half percent of all single family residential mortgage originations in the country in 2022. And it was a growing percent from year to year. So even though those originations went down in 2022 because it wasn't a great year for home sales, their share of that went up. 
that's not counting non-publicly traded regional banks, that's not counting smaller regional banks, that's just 54 banks are responsible for a huge chunk of this uh, whole ecosystem. And I, I feel like that's the kind of um, insight that you're you're bringing us with this data that's really important. I mean, to even know like, okay, I mean, that's not something you you that was out there somewhere. You had to go in and, and find that data. That's not like, oh, someone's already published that. You were the first to, to go in there and find that and collate that for us. And it really shows... Um, just the impact that this can have. And I feel like, you know, we've, we've known, I mean, I've, you know, we've all been hearing things about, you know, the commercial bank size, especially the office buildings and what that does, but it's, it's that the effect that's going to have across the board because of this. And, you know, especially warehouse lines, I mean, you don't really think about that, or at least, you know, you may, I'm sure the average consumer has no idea that like, oh, this affects this because, this, you know, I mean, just that whole whole thing in the industry, we all we all understand how warehouse lines of credit are going to affect things. But seeing the scale of this is kind of is kind of scary. Did you talk to anybody about about what they are looking for here? On this one, I was so buried in the data that that was what, that was all I did. I was, I was interviewing <laughs> the data um, and really mining it pretty deeply. I'm sure there's a ton of opinions from the actual commercial real estate experts. I'm sure there's a ton of opinions from the banking experts. Um, and what I was more interested in this particular one was, you know, who is this going to hurt and help in the in the mortgage origination side? Because uh, in that in that 54 bank cohort that that I was looking at, um, New York Community Bank was the second biggest by the dollar amount and the fourth biggest by origination. So if you have anybody else in the top five that is able to absorb their mortgages, you might have a new number one. Um, it was so, you know, there's there's opportunity in your community banks struggles if somebody else is more solvent. The question is, you know, out of that 54, how many are in a better or worse situation than your community bank is that one? We don't we don't go into as 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 deeply in this particular one. I'm sure as this year unfolds, we will have more opportunities to look at banks like NYCB. So, you know, the the bank that's um, number one on that list, as far as the um, number of originations and amount is Citizens Bank. Right, the uh, Citizens Bank, and then right underneath New York Community Bank is Truist Bank, Huntington National Bank, Prime Lending, Regions Bank. So those are those are big names we're all familiar with that um, are, are doing really big numbers there. Absolutely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What else did you find out as you were reporting this story that really struck you? Um, I think what was interesting for me was that it was kind of the puzzle pieces coming together is that I had been reading previously before this about the commercial real estate side of the house. New York uh, Community Bank for me was kind of a crystallizing moment of, okay, here's where you could start to see this play out in the residential side. And then, so then what is really stuck in my mind still is that we have a long way to go this year. So one of the things that I was reading in January was an article from the Wall Street Journal talking about the fact that $541 billion in debt backed by offices, hotels, other commercial real estate loan assets 
are due just this year. And that's the highest ever for a year on record. They quote a company called TREP for that data. And that $2.2 trillion of this kind of debt is gonna have to be paid or be refinanced by the end of 2027. So we are very much at the beginning side of seeing this play out. And that's really what I try to emphasize in the article is that, you know, I'm not saying this is a nail in the coffin for NYCB. I'm not saying I know how it would play out if it were the nail in the coffin for NYCB. What I'm pointing out is that this is something that now we need to be watching for in the residential side, that this is something that will impact us this year and in the year ahead through 2027 as this all plays out. This is kind of this was one of the slowest moving factors of the pandemic because office debt comes due in these waves. So this is still this is one of the last things you're going to see being a real big pandemic effect in the real estate world is how this gets handled. That's a really good point. Um, and and it's just funny because if you don't understand how commercial real estate works, it's like, why is it all happening right now? Like, what is the timeline? Why is this timeline? But it's just like the perfect storm of having to you know, uh, redo your debt when, when interest rates have gone up so much. Exactly. And demand has changed so much. Demand has changed so much. So we know that, you know, we keep hearing about, um, there's going to be some office buildings that can be converted to residential, but, um, you know, from all that I've seen, it's extremely expensive and it's the way that things are set up. It's, it's just not like, Oh, we'll just divide it into all these rooms. It just doesn't work like that. If, if I think about even the office that we had for so long, there was one, you know, one central, um, bathroom for the whole floor, right? It was a big bathroom. How do you then, you know, how do you do that? You know, closet space, there's the air circulation, there's, you know, windows, there's, it, there's just so many things that just don't work for most office buildings that it's, it's not like some panacea where it's like, Oh, I own all this, uh, these offices. I'll just convert them. That'll be great. It's like, <laughs> Oh, and who's going to pay for that? <laughs> you know, how is that even going to happen? How's it even possible? What it, did you uh, look at any of those numbers? So, yeah, I definitely, I, I would say I have some shared experience with that. It was when I was a reporter in Jacksonville, I was living in a building that had become half office and half residential and, it had just done the conversion. It was a downtown office building prior to that. It used to be a bank headquarters and it was years behind schedule. It was double the budget. I mean, it is a very expensive, costly thing to do. There's from the height restrictions, from the zoning, from the windows, like there's just so much to do there. So really what it's seeming like is there is a sliver of companies that are interested in doing those kinds of conversions. And that sliver is in turn interested in a small sliver of inventory of these buildings. It's you get to be choosy because there's tons of these office buildings that people have to figure out what to do with. So they're only going to take the best ones. And from that side of the house, I didn't do uh, uh, my own data investigation on that side of it. But from what I was seeing in interviews and reading elsewhere was that these these contractors that are interested in that kind of conversion or these building owners that are in, interested in that kind of conversion are really going back to the bank and saying, hey, do you want this whole building on your balance sheet or do you want to forgive some of my debt so that I can go raise the money to do something with this? So even in those situations of the conversions, the banks are still having to bite the bullet and just say, there's just money that we're not going to get back from what we allocated to these loans. Uh, and it's still a high interest rate environment. You're still going to have to figure out where you're going to raise the money to do the conversions to your point, because they are very expensive conversions. Um, so there's only because of the high rates, because of the high cost, 
this is only going to happen on the buildings that are the easiest to convert, which is usually the newer inventory. Um, so it's it's not going to be. It might help a little bit in in city as far as uh, in downtowns as far as um, just availability and inventory count. But they're slow conversions, they're expensive conversions, and it's definitely not a panacea. It's not going to work for all of these buildings that are coming due with that. And to your point, that doesn't help the bank in the meantime at all. So no, no. <laughs> well, this is definitely a um, story we're going to be continuing to watch and cover and see what happens. Um, not only with New York Community Bank, but all the others, 54 on that list, um, you know, how they get hit. Fingers crossed, you know, it's not it's not too bad. We never we never want to see um, banks fail or anybody in our in our industry struggle like that. But uh, it's a reality and um, it's definitely a risk going into this. Uh, even the second quarter of this year, I feel like we're going to see more and more of this. So, well, thanks for keeping us up today and thanks for doing this great story. Again, I uh, urge all of our listeners, you should go look at the charts. They really do tell a story of their own. So thanks, Will, so much. Absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you for listening and thank you to our sponsor, Truve. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.